Good morning. I want to begin with a question today. Have you ever been really afraid in your life? Terrified to the point of uh, immobilization? Just really scared? Maybe you had to give up speech at some point and you just stumbled over the words or you were called to do something that just paralyzed you with fear. We're in the middle of a series of messages entitled Here to There. In this series of messages, what we're trying to do is to think like Christ more and to have faith like Christ more. And this is a long series that we're in. It's 17 weeks long. And so what we've done is divided into four main legs. It's like going on an extended vacation over the summer and you have these points, these milestones that you get to that help you know how you're progressing on your trip. So we began this whole Here to There series looking at the question, what what do I do when my world turns upside down? We got through that leg, and then we moved on to the next leg of the trip, which was developing a heart that looks like Jesus Christ. On this third leg of the trip, we're into this idea of prevailing faith, and today is the last message in this leg. Next week, we get to our fourth and final leg of the trip. It's kind of like the Sioux Falls to Brookings part of the vacation trip, right, if you go south. And uh, we're going to talk next week on the topic matter of adversity. Is it a friend? Or is it a foe? Well, this morning, I thought it'd be prudent to talk for you a few moments on this topic matter of fear. Today's message is entitled, Fear to Faith. At one point in Jesus' earthly ministry, we talked a little bit about this last week, um, he sent his disciples across ahead of him on a lake. Um, later, he came to them walking on the water. Uh, and a lot of you know these verses. We, I read them last week. I'm going to read them again this morning. But I want you to do something with me. Put yourself in the place of the disciples today. Imagine you're in the boat. It's late in the night. And Christ walks on the water to you. How would you have felt at that moment? I love how the Bible succinctly and honestly tells about the disciples' reaction to Jesus walking to them on the water. Listen to this. It's from Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were what? Terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out of fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So in this short exchange here in Matthew 14, we definitely see fear at work, don't we? Fear immobilizes, fear paralyzes. Fear is an enemy of faith. It's a hindrance oftentimes to taking the next step in God. Fear causes you to sink. It caused Peter to literally sink. Let me ask you a question. What do you fear? Do you fear something in your life? What does that do to faith in that area of your life? Fear often hinders faith. In the Bible, there are like 366 fear not verses. The Lord knows that fear immobilizes his followers. It causes you not to take the step in faith that you ought to take. Fear sank Peter. And the question we're going to address this morning is this. Will fear immobilize you or will you overcome it? Will fear immobilize you or will you overcome it? As this nation was being born, and we celebrate that in a few days, 
Many had to overcome fear and be willing to step out, even if it was a death kind of step in their own part. I see fear being used today to manipulate people so much. It's, 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 a, it's a manipulation too that makes me almost angry. Politics uses fear. The environmentalists use fear. Terrorism, of course, is fear-based. The economy, and when we talk about the economy so frequently, is full of fear. You know why people use fear so often to manipulate? Because it works, doesn't it? And, and we got to be understanding something as the people of God. We are not to be driven by fear. Amen? We are to be people of faith, not people of fear. At this time of the year when it gets really hot, you'll see something frequently at a pool or at a lake. And I have some pictures of this uh, that are going to show up here of my own grandkids. You get them to jump into the water. This little guy over here is James. He's now about a third grader. So this was taken a few years ago. You could see on his face what's going on, can't you? He was coaxed into the water and he's a little apprehensive. Now when they get older, that's what they do. They fly. They, they've learned to enjoy the leap of faith into the water. But oftentimes at this time of the year, you'll see a dad, and he'll be like at the pool. Imagine this is a pool. And he's in the water standing there like this. And you've got his little girl right here, right, on the edge of the pool. And dad is saying, jump, I will catch you, right? And you can see her going, hmm. This does not seem like a good idea to me, right? And you can see the inner conflict. She wants to jump. She wants to please daddy, but she's looking at that water going, I don't want to jump into that water. And she know, oftentimes they can't swim. Imagine if you're an adult. And I'm telling you, I'm at the edge of the pool, and you've got a big old life jacket, and you're fearful of water. Well, just jump. You'll be fine. The little girl has all this inner conflict going on. Do I trust him? He's been trustworthy in the past. Will he really catch me? And if you tell your daughter to jump in your arms, you a better catcher, amen? Because if you don't catch that girl, she's done for about the next five years trusting you with anything. And so there's this inner conflict that's taking place. She wants to jump. She wants to please her father. But the fear says, no, this is dumb. This is crazy. Why? I don't even want to jump into the pool. Who came up with this idea? You know, and, and so there's the inner conflict that's going on. Well, that's exactly the battle that rages within us as followers of God frequently when God says to you and I, jump. Trust me. And we're going, oh, I don't want to jump in this. God, I don't want to do this. And fear is battling trust in our souls. Now, if that little girl jumps, she's going to experience something that's really cool, an enhanced relationship with her father, right, if he catches her, which I'm praying if you do that, you catch her. If she doesn't jump, she kind of locks into fear. And it's going to be more difficult the next time to take that step of faith. Now, when it comes to swimming, it's no big deal. You know, I mean, let them progress at their pace. But when it comes to us following God, we have this inner conflict frequently of trust and fear. And if you give in to fear, it will immobilize you and paralyze you, and you'll not become what God intends you to become. And you'll lack some trust, and you'll miss out on something that God wants to do in your life. Here's a potential problem. Fear can block faith. Fear can block faith. Peter was water walking. He was doing great until... He looked at the circumstances and said, I can't do this. What in the world's going on here? And fear gripped his heart, and he began to sink. That's why I think God tells us in the Bible 366 times, fear not. It's for good reason. Fear sinks you about as fast as anything can sink you. 
Think about how fear often immobilizes. A middle-aged man may feel called into ministry, called to switch gears, called to do something totally out of the box, to do something bold for God, but fear is holding him back. And he won't take that step, that, that risk. A person might find themselves trapped in a painful way of life, a very dysfunctional way of life. I see this all the time, a way that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing life like this? You're harming yourself and you're harming those around you. Why won't you make a change? But you know what? They're, they're fearful and fear keeps them trapped into a known dysfunctional lifestyle. And you're going, oh, this doesn't make sense. A young person feels pressured by her parents to pursue a course of study she has no interest in. But fear of rejection of her parents and, 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 and fear of conflict of her parents pushes her into a misfit course for her life that she's going to regret the rest of her life. A man longs to share his life maybe with a girl. I see this all the time. A young man is interested in a girl, but you know he's too fearful to ask her out or to take that first step. And I have had some of those conversations before with young people, and I say, you know what? If you never ask her out, you're never going to go out. Amen? At some point, you have to take some action. Because if you're never going to take that first step, then you're never going to go out with her. A successful businessman, I see this all the time. You see these successful, powerful, manly businessmen who will take great risks in the economy side of life and in the business side of life, yet they will not risk emotional intimacy with anybody or have any authentic self-disclosure. Maybe they haven't done that since a child, childhood because they're afraid of rejection, of losing control, or displaying weakness. What is fear? Fear is, in its simplest form, an internal warning cry that danger is nearby and we had better do something. It readies our bodies physically for flight or fight. Fear does all kinds of things to you. All your blood goes from your extremities to your internal organs, right? It's readying you for fight or flight. That's why when you are terrified, you get pale. Because all that blood is draining to the internal organs as a protective measure for your body. And you know what else happens? All kinds of adrenaline is pumped into that blood. And you're amped up and you're ready to go. Fight or flight kind of kicks in. And when needed, that reaction is good. Here's the problem. Often the problem is that fear strikes when it is neither helpful nor wanted. Right? It's neither helpful nor wanted. And it becomes paralyzing instead of mobilizing. Habitual fear, you know, is called worry. Amen? That's not good for you. You know why? Because your body's in this amped up state all the time. All this adrenaline's going on. All these physical changes are going on. You can't live well like that. It'll wreck your body. Habitual fear is worry. Worry destroys. Fear blocks faith. So what can we do about it? That's what we're going to talk about for a few moments today. I think God has a word for us from Isaiah 43 that applies right, right to us today. That, that leap, just leaps off the pages of Scripture to me. And, and it's a very applicable to this topic of fear. How do we move from fear to faith? Let me read Isaiah 43, 1 for you. And I'll talk about what I think God would have us do. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Now listen. This is one of those fear not verses. Do not fear. Why? For I have redeemed you. That's why we do not fear. For God has redeemed us. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
Now that was written to ancient Israel, but I think it applies even more to you and I as redeemed people of God today. Amen? It applied to ancient Israel, but now as Christ followers, this side of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's been poured out on us, this applies even more than it did back in the time of ancient Israel. So here's our big thought this morning for this message. You can fear not if you are redeemed. If you are redeemed, you are to fear not. Now, the problem began with this fear topic all the way back in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned, when Adam and Eve succumbed to sin. Do you remember what Adam did when God came to them after they had sinned and eaten the forbidden fruit? Do you remember that conversation that took place between the Lord and Adam? God said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, I heard you coming and I was afraid. There it is. Because of sin and separation from God, fear entered into the existence of mankind, and it's been there ever since. And so uh, it's constantly in culture. We don't realize how much fear is in our culture. Listen, how many of your mothers say this to your kid? Hey, Johnny or Susie, go out today and take a risk. Only look one way when you cross the street. Take a chance. (laughs) Does anybody do that? Why not? Because fear drives us a lot more than we realize. Fear is always there, kind of percolating in the background now because of the separation of us from God. We don't understand what it means, you know, to walk without fear because fear is just so much there. I remember doing all kinds of things my mother had no idea I was doing because if I told her, she would tell me not to do that. So I live by the Mississippi River. I made my way down to the Mississippi River as a young man almost daily. And you know what I'd do? I would wade across half the river to this island, and you'd follow the sandbars. And we'd live below the Coon Rapids Dam. It was kind of dangerous. And we'd make our way to this island, and we'd swim there. They had this cool little swimming hole, right? And all the neighborhood kids kind of knew about it, but none of us told our parents. And so the, uh, the one one thing I do remember, you'd climb this tree and there was this long branch that you'd walk out on this branch and then you would jump into the water. It was really fun, right? Super dangerous. And I remember one time I was up there after we'd been swimming for about an hour, that branch was totally saturated now with water because about a hundred times we've gone up and down this. I got about three feet from the shore of the river on this branch and guess what? I fell right on my back into the water, and it was about this deep. From about, it was about 20 feet high. And fortunately, I did a great backsplash, and it just hurt a little bit as that water patted me just enough. And I, whoosh, and I go, oh, that was a close call, and I went right back up into the tree again, you know, because there's no common sense with a 13-year-old boy, amen? Or girls, from what I found out. How many of your parents would say to your kids, go take a risk today, climb a tree, jump in a lake, fall down, you'll be fine? We don't do that because fear is so much part of our culture and our way of doing it, life, that we don't even think about it. But God says to the ancient Israelites, and God says to us today, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Praise be to God, he didn't leave his creation in this fearful status. He has done a work of redemption in us that's supposed to chase fear right out of us. And so today I want to talk to you on on this idea that we're no longer objects of God's wrath. We're now objects of God's love. And and, and because we're redeemed people, the fear that we would 
would have as not redeemed people is supposed to be chased right out of us by this redemption process that takes place uh, because of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about redemption because evidently it, God says, you know what? Fear not for I have redeemed you. We need to talk about redemption because that's evidently the key to fearing not. So what does redemption mean? Simply means this, to ransom, release, deliver. The main idea is that of buying something back. It means to buy something back. Now Christ has bought us back from sin and slavery and, and, and from fear by becoming our substitutionary sacrifice, right? And so Jesus has paid the price for you and I to be redeemed. He has bought us back. And this should drastically affect then how we do life. And it should chase the fear right out of us. It's supposed to do that. Now, when you research a little bit further into Isaiah 43, uh, that's what I did because that's what I do. Um, it talks a little bit about what redemption is about and how then it should chase fear out of us. There's really three aspects uh, to understand about redemption that are identified, in, in, at least in Isaiah 43, that I, I feel when we begin to understand this, it chases fear right out of us. And so as you continue on in Isaiah 43, we, we see three different levels, three different levels uh, of understanding of redemption that I think if we really embrace this, it begins to chase the fear right out of us as a follower of God. So as Isaiah continues on in, in Isaiah 43, moving from verse 1 to verse 2, he says this, when you pass through the waters, now this is as redeemed people, this means you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all right? If you haven't done that yet, you're not going to experience any of this, okay? But as, as redeemed people, this promise comes to us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The chapter goes on to show how God's favor would rest on his people because they're redeemed. And then how they're supposed to mightily witness uh, uh, to the nations of who God is. And, and whatever they faced, they were to know that God was with them and was always going to be working through them. Basically, what is being promised here is this. God's saying, I will be with you. As my redeemed people, I will be present in your present situation. So here's our first redemption implication. It's this. You can count on God to be with you in your present situation, whatever that be. Now, this is clearly articulated over in Hebrews chapter 13, the second half of verse 5 through verse 6. It says, never will I leave you. There, Jesus says this, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Here's another one of those fear not verses. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Let's read this out loud together and declare it as a, as a, as a, a faith step today. Would you read this with me? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So in the context of, of Hebrews here, what was being said was, follow God, follow his will hard, and then here's the promise. God will be with you, and he will not forsake you. What can mere men, what can mere women do to you? Because God is watching over you. He is present in your present situation. So here's a question always to ask, always to ask. God, what do you want me to do in this situation, whatever it be, so that I'm experiencing your power and your presence in overcoming my fears because he's always there in your present situation. He's always with you. And that 
thought is supposed to overcome fear. It's supposed to chase fear right out of you. Years ago, when we were at family camp in Rapid City, which is where we were at this last week, um, uh, that's our yearly annual get together as a district where we do district conference and it's a family camp. Well, years ago when we went to family camp, uh, my son Peter went with us and at that point was kind of a little guy, remember this, and he really wanted to climb the rock wall. That thing's about 40 feet high. And I remember I was proud of him. Now, Vicki does that stuff naturally. She just loves that stuff. But I thought, wow, Peter, you want to climb the rock wall? Really? Okay, let's go. Let's go for it. And they harnessed him up, and Vicki and I were there, of course, cheering on our son. And, and he climbed up that wall like Spider-Man. He just, wah, wah, he gets up to the top. And I remember he gets up to the top of the wall, and he did something fundamentally wrong. He looked down. He was sitting on the top of the wall, just like this. His feet were dangling over the wall. And I remember him looking down, and his eyeballs got really big for a moment. And I could see he didn't realize, I'm now 40 feet off the ground. This is high. And I remember my words of advice to him, and I shouted out, because, you know, that's what parents do. They feel like they have advice for their kids. And they were shutting out advice. And I remember saying to Peter, quick, climb down. And he just turned around and climbed right down. Fortunately, he listened, because I thought he was going to be paralyzed by that height, by that fear. And he climbed right down. And often, the best way that we overcome fear as a follower of God is to do something fundamental. Quick, just follow God. Don't think about it. Don't let the situation paralyze you. Peter, Peter's walking on the water, and he takes his eyes off Jesus Christ, and he begins to look around. Oh, down he goes. He sinks. You know what? Quick, just follow Jesus. Don't think about it. Don't analyze it. I know the heights are scary. I know your life situation is scary. I know the things that you're facing may be overwhelming you. Quick, just follow Jesus. Quick, just do what he wants you to do. Don't think about it and don't analyze it. Amen? Just quickly follow the Lord because you're a redeemed person. He's bought you from your sins. He's present with you in your situation. And our response needs to be to quickly follow God. Let's move on to a second level of understanding God's redemption and how it works. It's really important to embrace this. This is so important. Just hear what I'm going to say because it'll chase the fear right out of you. As Isaiah continues on in Isaiah 43 and beyond this, he notes that God wants to do a new thing in his people Israel. He wants to give them a new heart for their unfaithfulness. He wants to give them faith for their unfaithfulness. His mercies are great and he desires to do a work that's uh, transformative in their lives, but the people of Israel weren't very cooperative. We need to be cooperative in this regard uh, to God. He wants to do some very personal life transformation in us. That will chase the fear right out of us. See, it's God's will to deliver you from your personal sins and hang-ups. He just wants to transform you personally. He's not only present with you, but there's this very personal, intimate side uh, 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 to the Lord. And now on this side of Pentecost, you know, now that the person of the Holy Spirit has been set loose in our lives, we can really experience the transformative power of God. And he wants to do some real personal, transformative things in your life. People haven't changed much since the day of Isaiah and since he penned these words in Isaiah. You know, people today still deny God and still don't want to follow God, still deny their need of God and denial, deny that sins and hang-ups are problems that suck the lights right out of us. And, and we still try to hide sometimes our problems from one another and from God. We're afraid of disclosure. We're afraid of being found out. And you know what? That leads to fear, doesn't it? And destructiveness in our lives. 
the fear of being found out. And we have to become people who understand God wants to do very personal, intimate, life change in us that's totally, 100% a real thing, amen? See, God's not only present, he's super personal. I love what Romans says in Romans 8, 26 through 29. It kind of gets at this idea in the New Testament. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know how many times I've had fear coming into my life? I've had things I don't know what to do, and I pray, and I go, God, I don't even know how to pray about this. But I'm confident your Holy Spirit will pray words I don't know how to pray but I don't want to be locked into fear. I don't want to be locked into doubt like this. So I often plead this over myself. Pray, Holy Spirit, for me. I don't know what to do. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of the Father. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. As, re, as, as, as redeemed people, we've got to understand this is a very personal thing. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we become something we could not become on our own. Amen? And God wants to chase the fear right out of us. And one of the things that people fear today, just like they feared in times of Isaiah, was the disclosure of being found out by others. That maybe I'm not the person I am putting on to be. And God says, come to me and have true life transformation take place. There's one more level to examine why we can fear not as God's redeemed people. This is level number three. In Isaiah 49, um, verse 16, we're told this by, and I love this scripture. God, God says to the Israelites, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. I don't know about you, but I've seen this uh, frequently uh, by people when they want to write something important, an important name or an important phone number, and they don't have a notepad, what do they do? They write it in the palm of their hand. I often think, wow, that's strange. But they, they want to remember it. That's a picture given here. God is taking your name and my name. If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have come to him as Savior and given your life to him, you are written in the palm of God's hand. Do you know how utterly cool that is? You're engraving on God's hands. He's not going to forget who you are. Then over, so anyway, let me give you the point. Uh, you have a future provision to then count on, that God, God is engraving you on his hands. You have a future provision to count on. So when it comes to chasing fear right out of us, there's this understanding that God is present in our lives, that he's doing something very personal in us, and that we have a future provision in him, all right? And, and, and over in the New Testament, this promise of being engraven on the hand of God is, I think, further personalized when Christ says this in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's talking to his disciples now. And he's talking about his departure and, and that he was soon going to be with his heavenly father. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back, take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, you would really, your heart would go, thump, 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 if you were a Jew. Because this is, this is uh, uh, you know, has a lot of meaning to it that maybe we don't get this far away from that culture. But back in the, in the days of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I wanted to marry a woman, I'll use Vicky since she's my wife. <laughs> Makes sense, right? So 
so I said, young man, so I want to marry Vicky. So I would go in that culture in that time, I'd go to her dad and we'd bargain for her price. Sounds kind of like, you know, weird, but that's what we do. Uh, and I would give him this money to be able to marry his daughter. Then I would go, after I did that, I would go to her and i say, will you marry me? <laughs> you hope so at that point, right? And if she said yes, then what I would do is I'd go back to my father's house and I would begin to prepare a place for us to live. I'd add a room on to the house. And then when I got that room prepared, and she didn't know when that would happen, so she had to be ready for me to come at any time. When I got that room prepared with trumpets and celebration and a big old march, I, we'd come and I'd grab her and say, today's the day, babe, I've got you now, you know? And we would be married and we'd go live forever in the, in the room there by my folks' house. <laughs> Doesn't sound that good, does it? All right, now, it sounds good this way, though. Jesus came from the Father to us. He's our bridegroom. He's the groom. And he paid the price so that we could become his bride. He gave his life as a ransom for you and I. He paid the price of the wedding, so to speak. And then he comes to you and I, and he gives an invitation. Will you be my bride? And we have to say yes to that. That's about coming to Christ in faith. We have to say yes to the invitation, amen? We have to say yes. I want to be your son or daughter. I come to you by faith, God, through Jesus Christ. I come, I accept the invitation to be the bride. Then we become redeemed people, okay? If you haven't done that, you're not a redeemed person. And your life's going to be mastered by fear. Just want you to know that. Now Jesus is saying in this scripture that we're today, I'm going back to my father's house. And I'm building a room for you. You're engraven on the palm of his hand. He will not forget you. I will not forget you. And he's building a room. And he's providing for you and I a future provision. And one day we're told in Scripture that there will be the sound of the trumpet again. And Christ will come for his bride, you and I, and gathers up and we'll go live with him forever in the place he's preparing for us right now. So you want to have fear chased out of you? Understand, God's present with you. He's very personal with you, and you have a future provision in him. Do you hate speed bumps? I hate speed bumps. Fear is like a speed bump. It should cause us to slow down and say, why am I fearing? Fear should be used like a speed bump to deepen your faith in God. If you're fearing, you should ask, okay, do I not trust that God's present in my life? Do I not understand that he's working very personally in me? Am I trying to hide something? Am I afraid of disclosure? Am I doubting his future provision? Look at fear as a speed bump to slow you down to do some self-awareness and analysis, but come to the place of understanding redemption and understanding those aspects of the redemption that deal with the personal presence of God, the personal transformation that he wants to take place in your life, and the personal provision he's going to give you in heaven one day. Amen? Use it that way. I love what John Ortberg says. Um, he says this, um, and I'll quote him, fear has created more practicing heretics than bad theology ever has. For it makes us live as though we serve a limited, finite, partially present, semi-competent God. So I pray today that your understanding of what you have in redemption chases fear right out of you, amen? It's time for God's people to fear not. For we are a redeemed lot of folk, aren't we?
That's who we are. Fear not. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Fear not. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not. No greater love has this than a person lay his life down for someone else. Fear not. Because the love of Christ overcomes and drives fear out in you. Amen? Fear not. I tell you what, if you're fearful, fear not. Grab a hold of these promises of God and step into them. 